Week 18 will conclude the lightning quick NFL regular season. I'll get into all the key matchups, which teams are on the cusp of making the playoffs and who needs help. Michigan finally slays the semifinal beast, but can they win the whole thing as they'll play the Washington Huskies for the national championship on Monday night? Are the Oklahoma City Thunder a year early as a title contender out west? What about concerns in Lakerland as they're plummeting in the standings? Maple Leaf forward Austin Matthews is making his case for MVP in the NHL. Back at it to provide all the sports talk you need on this first week of 2024. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here to spend a brief moment and share a friendly reminder to please subscribe, rate, review the podcast on whichever platform you listen to on the regular, just so we can increase the visibility of the J Reels podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. Leave plenty of stars, write a favorable review. It will go a long way for the curious listener looking to hop on board to get a dose of entertaining and passionate sports talk. For the visually inclined, please subscribe to my YouTube channel at J Reels as I post daily shorts and weekly vlogs, not only delving into the world of sports, but follow me on my journey to take the podcast and channel to new heights as I provide an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for yours truly to produce content on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis. It goes without saying how much I truly appreciate all of your support. And without further ado, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Reels Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? People, greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Hope your first few days of the new year have gone rather smooth as I'll continue those good vibes over the course of the next hour discussing all that's going on in the sports universe as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and we could finally see the end of the regular season on the horizon. The marathon, or really when you think about it, it's a sprint, because the NFL season, unlike Major League Baseball, and of course the NBA and NHL, long, almost interminable seasons, but now the finish line is upon us. And it's going to be a very intriguing one considering that the schedule starts Saturday afternoon at 4.30 with an interesting storyline that has come out. And I talked about this on Monday's podcast, which I'll get to. But a lot to uncover here as we approach the Week 18 and everything that all the teams that are fighting for playoff spots or even seedings for that matter, depending on who you are. And even though we understand that it's already a wrap when it comes to the one seeds in both the AFC and NFC with Baltimore and San Francisco and everybody and their mother is considering or even thinking that the Super Bowl is going to be another collision course between these two teams that we saw here, what, 10 days ago on Christmas night, that it's a foregone conclusion that you're going to see Ravens, Niners in Allegiant Stadium representing both conferences for a Super Bowl, but 
We have a long way to get to that point. Still about five weeks away. So all we have to do is just look at what's going to take place starting Saturday in Baltimore, 430 with the Steelers. One of those teams who have an opportunity to get to the postseason. Now they're going to need some help. Because even if they do win the game, it's not an automatic that they make it into the dance. They're going to have to wait and see what's going to happen. Even with the game starting later that evening, both of the games on ABC, ESPN with Houston and Indianapolis. Now, we wouldn't expect the final result that will take place at 8.15 or you would say maybe about 11.30 Saturday night that the Steels will get in because the only way the Steels will get in to the postseason would be a Jacksonville loss against Tennessee on Sunday, a Buffalo loss Sunday night against Miami, which will be game 272 to wrap up the regular season, or if it so happens to fall that way, where the Colts and Texans, when the final gun is shot off, if it ends in a tie, then the Steelers will make it into the playoffs. But chances are that it's not going to happen. It's going to be slim and none as we know. But the Steelers, it's all right in front of them. All they got to do is win and then go to bed that night, prayer in hand, and hope that either the Jaguars lose in Tennessee, which a lot of people think that could be upset central. We understand that these division road games, as I've talked about ad infinitum, they are not shoe-ins. And with Tennessee, knowing that this could be the final game for Derrick Henry, the longtime running back out of Alabama, and looks like he may be departing to another city, another team next year. And I would think that this is going to be a celebration, although maybe on the low, considering that the Titans season is what? At this point, I think they're 5-11. and But I would think that they're going to do whatever it takes to try to pull off a big upset to a Jacksonville team that is stumbling, fumbling, and bumbling their way down the stretch, despite the fact that they beat the Panthers 26-0 this past Sunday. And then you have the Sunday night game, which I'll get to because that is an enormous game for so many reasons, not only for the Dolphins' psyche, but also for Buffalo to get in, because if Pittsburgh does win, and if that combination does happen to come about where the Jacksonville Jaguars, if they lose... And Buffalo's going to need that game to get into the postseason. And of course, Miami, they want to get a two seed. And the last thing that they want to deal with is a six seed in the AFC, knowing how poor they are on the road. So where you start and how you finish, looks like you may have a lot of drama here in this Week 18. In the middle, not so much. But let me get to the first game because yesterday it was announced that John Harbaugh, the coach of the Ravens, is going to rest Lamar Jackson. And I don't know about the rest of the team. I didn't really uncover a lot of that story. And this is something I talked about on Monday. And to no surprise, because you understand that even for a couple of series, the last thing you want, if you're a member of the Ravens, is to have TJ Watt or Alex Highsmith land on Lamar Jackson the wrong way to where an ankle gets turned, a knee, a leg, etc., And then there's going to be everybody from coast to coast that are going to kill John Harbaugh and have to explain why did you start Lamar Jackson in this game knowing that you have everything wrapped up in the AFC and the last thing you need is to get your star quarterback and likely MVP of the league hurt whether it was by hangnail or God forbid a torn ACL. So we can understand why he's going to do that. I'm sure he's going to arrest a lot of other starters along the way. Even though this is Ravens-Steelers, 
even though this is a bitter rivalry going way back, although it doesn't have the same feel that what it once had with the cast of characters such as Ben Roethlisberger and Heinz Ward, Troy Polamalu, Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs, those were just body bag games, as I used to call them. And I get it, this day and age, you can't really call it that, I know, etc. But to me, those are the games that I look forward to because you knew it was going to be not only just a bloodbath, but who knows who's going to get rolled out on stretchers, who knows who's going to not come back into games. We've seen these matches before and how they would just literally hide the women and children that this was going to be 60 minutes of horror between these two teams when they played. And of course, it's not going to have that magnitude considering a lot of the starters, including Lamar Jackson, are going to be out. But now the big question is how this will bode for the Ravens moving forward. Now, mind you, five years ago in the same setting, the Ravens wrapped up the AFC. They were 14-2. and And in the final game of that season, the Ravens rested Lamar Jackson, ironically, against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we know what happened having those three weeks off, playing that divisional playoff game at home against the Tennessee Titans, and they spit the bit. Jackson was off on the game, turning the ball over. They had to play from behind. And as we all know, the Ravens are not a good team to come from behind. They'd rather play from in front. Although they have weapons, although they have key offensive players there at the wideouts, and even the running backs, we understand Lamar's a running back when you think about it. And this team offensively is better than that team because that was more of a ground and pound, let's eat the clock and let's go home where Lamar throws 12 to 18 times a game and they'll rush for 200 some odd yards, have 35, at least 35 minutes time of possession and then go home with a victory. This team is a little bit more spread out, a little bit more wide open. Jackson has been a lot more accurate that we've seen in the past. But my point is, before I get crazy, is that having the extra week off Will they have learned their lesson from five years ago knowing that this Raven team is Super Bowl a bust? And especially when you're going to have the MVP under center come January 21st or 22nd, whatever that date's going to be. So we'll just have to keep that in mind and just keep that receipt for that time, whomever it is that they're going to play and how this three-week layoff, whether it's going to be a boon or it's going to be a bust. We saw it five years ago how it became a bust In Lamar Jackson's MVP season, could it happen again? And then you have Houston and Indianapolis, two teams that have hung on all the way to the end, especially Indianapolis. Think about this. They lost their quarterback and Anthony Richardson early on this year. And who knows if Richardson would have had this team to this point. Where Gardner Minshew, very good backup, capable. They've had their bad games along the way in Atlanta just a couple of weeks ago, but they've stemmed the tide. And now they host, in essence, a do-or-die playoff game. Win or go home. And with the Texans getting C.J. Stroud back, and you would think that maybe Houston will have a little bit of momentum going into this game, because with Indianapolis, they're pretty much a coin flip. I couldn't tell you whether or not they're going to come out like gangbusters or have that type of performance where they're going to secure themselves in the postseason. And mind you, they could win a division, either one of these two teams, if Jacksonville loses on Sunday. But they have to look at who is going to be favored, who's going to be the team that will come out of this. I have to say Indianapolis only because they're at home, but I would not be surprised if Houston wins. Because C.J. Stroud in the year that he's had, I could see him putting up one 
big game to get themselves into the postseason? Why not? I understand him being a rookie. He could also have that game where he's going to throw three interceptions. And mind you, how many interceptions he's thrown this year? He hasn't even thrown a handful. And for a rookie to do that, mind you, he's missed a couple of games. I understand with the concussion, etc. And him not being in the lineup there for a couple of weeks. But you still have to respect what he's done here over the course of, what is it, 13, 14 games a season. And for Stroud, who I think may end up being the rookie of the year when it's all said and done. But he does have five interceptions this year. And a lot of that's coming the second half of the year because I know in the first half, I believe he only had one throughout the first eight games of the season. But you would still have to think that with Stroud and Minshew, and I get it that he's more of a veteran presence, and maybe with the head coach, and these are both rookie head coaches too, Shane Steichen of the Colts and DeMarco, D'Amico Ryans of the Texans, I would still think that Indianapolis not only favored, but because they're at home, I think they'd find a way to win the game. And I would also think since Baltimore is resting a lot of their players, and they're going to have Ty Huntley at quarterback, I would think the Steelers somehow, some way, eke out a 16-13 type game. Now, as far as Sunday, the 1 o'clock window is very slim. And I get it that you have a couple of games of note, really three games when you think about it. Jacksonville, Tennessee, as I talked about. Jacksonville wins. They have the division wrapped. Now, again, they're going to know their fate come 1 o'clock as to which team the night before is going to win in that 8-15 matchup between Houston and Indianapolis. So they don't even have to worry about that, but I'm sure in the back of their minds, they're going to have to think that, all right, well, we know Houston or Indianapolis is in, so we have to win. They should put that aside because all they got to do is win, and that's it. Now, Houston and Indianapolis will still be able to get into the postseason, whomever wins that matchup, but, and I'll talk about the Sunday night game, that's where Pittsburgh could sneak in the back door, depending on what happens down in Miami. But Jacksonville, Tennessee, then you have Atlanta, New Orleans, Tampa, Carolina. I understand not sexy matchups, especially when you're talking about the NFC South, because as of right this moment, if Tampa wins, they'll win the division. If they lose and New Orleans wins against Atlanta, New Orleans wins the division. And strange as this may sound, if Atlanta beats New Orleans and Tampa loses, guess who wins the NFC South? The Falcons. Now some of these teams, New Orleans in particular, if they win, they could still get into the postseason with the tiebreaker scenario. And of course I'll get into that in a minute. But that is just a weird window when it comes to the NFC South in particular, and I get it, you also have the AFC South included in that, but that is your 1 o'clock window, which a lot of people aren't going to get too wrapped up because you would think that whomever comes out of that division in both the AFC and NFC, they're not going to be long for the postseason. But now you get to the 425 window, and you have a bunch of games there that have impact, starting with Chicago-Green Bay, and then you have to also look at Seattle-Arizona, where they have to go to the desert, and there is a possibility that Seattle could sneak in and get one of those playoff spots. You also have seeding involved, whether that means with the Eagles going up the turnpike to play the Giants, Dallas, part of the Northeast Corridor going to Washington. They're playing in the 425 window. And if Dallas loses in Washington, and we wouldn't think that'd be the case, but stranger things have happened one more time, Division Road games, and maybe Washington, Ron Rivera, last hurrah, they want to go into the offseason on a high note, Stranger things have happened. 
And Philly, trying to get the stench out of that bad performance in the second half against Arizona, if they win, they'll get the two seed. Where Dallas right now is in the driver's seat to get the two seed and will not have to worry about going on the road until the championship game, if so be it. So you have all those games that are in play when it comes to the 425 slot. And then you have Buffalo and Miami, which who knows? If Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, if it all breaks in that particular way, where Buffalo not only needs the game to win the AFC East, but also needs to win the game to make it to the postseason. Because if they lose this game, and if it does break that where Pittsburgh does win, and let's say even if Jacksonville wins, because that could possibly happen. If Buffalo were to lose, they'd be out of the postseason because Pittsburgh will sneak in based on the better conference record that they have over Buffalo. So you may have a scenario come Sunday night that Buffalo's not only going to need to win the game to win the division, but just to make it to the playoffs overall. And Miami, talk about trying to wipe the stench. That performance in Baltimore there on Sunday. And that's the dangerous thing about this game when you think about it, because everybody, I'm sure a lot of people across the land are thinking Buffalo's going to win this game. Because they're going into this stretch where they've won, I believe, what, four in a row. They're playing pretty well. And Miami coming off of that bad loss. And they've been flailing in and out, up and down. Have not had the early season dominance that they've had in the first half or maybe even the first two-thirds of the season. And now you have a scenario where it's almost as if the perfect storm has come in to where Buffalo riding high and Miami playing as bad as you could possibly can based off of that last game in Baltimore with that watch Miami jump off to a big lead and maybe hang on for dear life at the end but then Buffalo will be flying back to western New York crying in their Buffalo wings and then the Dolphins will have a two seed to where they can at least go we made it we can probably host two games when it's all said and done before having to go back to Baltimore and let's see if that comes to pass That's your NFL Week 18 in a nutshell. And when we talk about these tiebreakers and what could possibly happen, and there's quite a bit. Thankfully, the one seeds you don't have to worry about, as we talked about, Baltimore, San Francisco are safe. But to keep it in the AFC, if Miami wins, they'll have the two seed, as we know. If they lose, they're going to drop down to the sixth seed. Think about that. And I'm sure Mike McDaniel, the coach, is hammering that home all week. Guys, all we got to do is win. Forget about... Who else is playing? Forget about what else is happening throughout the league. Win, and we'll have two home games. Obviously one, but maybe even two when it's all said and done. And that's it. Kansas City will have the three. Jacksonville, Indianapolis, Houston, like I mentioned. Either one of those three teams could be your division winner in the AFC South. Your five seed is Cleveland. Your six seed right now is Buffalo, but they could go up to two. With a win, if not, they could be out based on that combination that I mentioned. Your seventh seed right now is Indianapolis, but we already explained how their season could unfold and how they can make it into the postseason or not. And then you have Houston, that's eight. Same situation there. And Pittsburgh, we already discussed how they can make it into the postseason. NFC, San Francisco, followed by Dallas. If they win, they'll have the two seed. But it's interesting because even with... Philadelphia right now is the five. 
They're currently fifth there, even with the same record, only because the Cowboys have a better conference record. I would think that Dallas, and I have to go through all the permutations, because when we talk about common opponent, so let's say if Dallas, well, if Dallas wins, they're going to win anyway, because they'll be 9-3, and three, I take that back. And of course, if Philly wins, so everything I just said right now, please disregard. Dallas wins, two seed. Even if Philly wins, because they'll be 8-4 and four, and Dallas will be 9-3 and three in the conference. So there goes that. Detroit will be locked in at 3. Your 4 seed could be either Tampa, New Orleans, or Atlanta, as I explained earlier. Eagles will be 5 if it's chalk. Obviously, if Dallas loses and Philadelphia wins, Philly will have the 2. And I believe, let me just double check that. Philly would have the 2 seed, I believe, based on common opponent with Detroit. So that's something to keep in mind when we talk about all these permutations. Then you have the sixth seed is the Rams. They could go six or seven, but they have clinched a spot. And then you have Green Bay currently eight and eight with Seattle also at eight and eight. And they both have the same conference record. And I believe Green Bay, didn't they beat Seattle earlier this year? Then you have New Orleans who could also sneak in with a Green Bay loss and a Seattle loss, the Saints could get in there. And even the Vikings at 7-9 and nine are still alive. And the way that the Vikings could get in is if they beat Detroit, and I would think Detroit's going to rest everybody because they have nothing to play for. So Minnesota could get into the postseason if New Orleans, Seattle, and Green Bay all lose. And mind you, Green Bay, they did beat Minnesota early this year. Or as a matter of fact, they beat him last week on the Sunday night game, New Year's Eve. But Green Bay did lose to the Vikings earlier this year, so I would think that the tiebreaker, based on a common opponent, would go to Minnesota if all that broke the right way. And wouldn't that be something when you think about it? You need all that help in the conference in order to get into the playoffs. And then the Falcons' only way to get in would be to win a division. That's why they're still alive, even though they're actually 12th in the NFC at this very moment. But we already talked about how they could get in by winning the division based on what Tampa and New Orleans would do. And of course, Atlanta plays New Orleans and they beat them earlier this year. So there you go as far as Atlanta's chances. But that's what you have. And I can't wait to see how this is all going to unfold. And think about this, people. You're going to have from Saturday 4.30 to pretty much Monday night at around, I'll say 11.30 to midnight, Wall-to-wall football, and that includes the national championship, which I'll get to in a second. But here we are, people. Week 18, almost here. Looking forward to see how this all unfolds. Do I think the Steelers, as a big-time Steelers fan, do they gonna, are they going to make it into the postseason? I can't say. They're going to need some help. Could it happen? I think it could. And the funny thing is, remember, Steelers fans, two years ago, the Steelers beat the Ravens in Baltimore the final game of the season which was Ben Roethlisberger's final year. And they needed help that night from the Chargers and Raiders. And they got a late Christmas gift by Brandon Staley, because if you recall, all they had to do was just milk the clock. He didn't have to call any timeouts, but for whatever reason, he called the timeout, I believe it was on 3rd and 10, late in the game. And I believe it was an overtime. And all they had to do, again, if both teams tied, they would have made it into the playoffs. But because he called a timeout and it was a third and nine, and I believe they, the Raiders 
had a draw play to where they got nine yards, fourth and one, in field goal range. And what happened? They kicked the field goal to win the game, and therefore the Chargers were out and the Steelers were in. Now, could I expect that to happen this time around? It's quite possible. The football gods may be shining on the black and gold, making it into the postseason in that way, shape, or form. So we shall see. Looking forward to it all unfolding here this coming weekend. Now, let me get to the college football. I could have led with the semifinals, but I did not, only because it's been a few days since both games, the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl had taken place, and you had two very good games, obviously down to the wire for both. I talked about it on my YouTube channel, at J Reels, where Michigan, their defense was very good, especially in that first half, although Alabama certainly had them on the ropes in that fourth quarter. And to think, at 17-13, where the Crimson Tide were marching down the field, I believe they had the ball at the Michigan 30, and if somehow, some way they punched it into the end zone, that would have been a hit to the Wolverine solar plexus because they were able to get out of that alive to where they only were able to hold them to a field goal. And then we saw J.J. McCarthy down the field. They had to convert a big fourth and two, which was enormous because... Mind you, that was a great play call where they had the running back in the flat, Blake Corum, who was able to push it down the field, and then they got it into the end zone there right before the end of regulation. And then even though Alabama had the ball and they couldn't do anything with it, they punted the ball deep into the Michigan territory to where the kid, Jake Thaw, almost became one of the all-time GOATs, not only just in college sports, but in sports overall. What in the hell was he doing trying to field that punt Literally with seconds on the clock, let it go, son. Even if the ball spots dead, if it just landed there at the two-yard line, so be it. Alabama had no timeouts. You would just run out the clock and that's it. And then even as it was, by Thor recovering the ball at the two-yard line and with Michigan having two timeouts, I believe they had one timeout left. What the hell was Jim Harbaugh doing calling a timeout there with about seven seconds to go? Run out the clock. That made no sense. And I get it. Maybe you wanted to get some more breathing room. Oh, who knows? But that was just terrible on Michigan's part. But thankfully, the kid did not become a GOAT. That was just, and this was first guess. I don't understand why he was even thinking about attempting to make that fair catch at the four-yard line. Because remember, after he fumbled it and then got knocked back even into the end zone. But be that as it may, now you get to the overtime, two plays in. The Wolverines get into the end zone with the 17-yard run by Blake Corum. And then Alabama gets the ball. And here they are, slowly but surely, from the 25-yard line. They get to first and goal. And then after an Alabama timeout, or I believe Michigan had the timeout first, and then Alabama called their timeout on fourth and goal at the, what, two-yard line? That play call, I don't know what in the hell that was. I get it. They were probably trying to go off tackle, left, and for whatever the reason, Milrow just went right into the pile. A play call that, I'm sorry, I probably could have drew up on the turf a lot better, and Lord knows, Nick Saban knows a whole hell of a lot more football than I do, but I don't know what that play call was to go into the teeth of that Michigan defense, and I get it. You may not want to go east-west or any type of trick play there. That would be puzzling to say the least, 
But they could have come up with something a little bit more creative than that, knowing that Jalen Milrow is not built like Dante Culpepper or Cam Newton. And even if those guys in college, as big as those two guys are at 6'6 and 6'5, weighing about 260, there's no way they would have gotten through that hole to get into the end zone to tie the game. And Alabama, listen, I get it that they didn't capitalize on some of these big plays. I know they got the muff punt there early. And Michigan's special teams was just awful. They were doing whatever it took to even give Alabama a shot to win the game. And thankfully, they did recover that muff kick at the, or muff punt at the end, as I talked about. But they missed extra points. They had bot snaps on extra points. I mean, it was just a nightmare. Missed field goals. Just a terrible performance by their special teams. And they still were able to get out of this game alive. And Milrow, I thought, he did not play well, but he was very gutty. You can't fault him on that last play. I mean, again, what was that play call? I can't even explain it, even three days after the fact. But now you have Michigan finally slaying the semifinal beast, getting over the hump of the last two years, and now here they are, square in the middle of a national championship. And they're going to go up against Washington as we saw there Monday night. Now, I didn't stay up to watch the whole thing. The game ended at what? Well past midnight. And I talked about this the other day. These late starts are just an atrocity. They really are. I mean, I get it. The game went into overtime and you had to have a post game and you had to have some leeway there before you could get to the Sugar Bowl and start that game, which was originally supposed to start at 845 and it started after 9. So you already knew at that point that, geez, I'm going to be bleary-eyed, have to get up early. Uh Uh-uh. I didn't want to do that, but I made sure, of course, to stay on top of it and to see what was going to take place. And Washington, you have to give it up. This team, with their offense and how they performed all year. Texas, we get it that going into this game, we knew that their front four was stout, but their secondary was going to be questionable, to say the least. And what you saw there was just a clinic by Michael Penix Jr., 430 yards passing, precision, accurate, whether it was the drop throw that he just, the touch pass that he's just phenomenal with, and then obviously throwing darts all over the field, the long ball, etc. He has big-time wide receivers, has a very good running back. And even with that, up 13 in the fourth quarter, and for them to hang on for dear life at the very end, just goes to show the toughness, the metal, And I get it that they were that close to losing this game considering that earlier in the quarter when the Longhorns were trying to eat closer to that score, again, 13-point deficit. And what we saw there there by the quarterback, Quinn Ewers, who was able to get the touchdown, the one-yard pass to Adane Mitchell. And then here we are in the final sequence of this game where he went back to that well again, but it was defended well by the Husky cornerback. And now you have Washington for their schedule to get to this point, beating Oregon twice, winning these high-flying, high-scoring type games. And Texas, who had a ton of penalties, did not play well, shot themselves in the foot time after time after time in this game. But give it up for what Washington has done all year. And now they're at the point to where the top two teams in the country are going to square off Monday night for a national championship. Now, I'll talk more about it on Monday's podcast as far as previewing the game. But one thing I'll say, Michigan's defense is better than Texas's. That's for sure. 
We talked about their front four and how good they've been. But if Washington, who put up 37 on Texas here, not to say they're going to do that against Michigan, but that is going to be a game of the trenches. More so Washington's offensive line versus Michigan's defense overall. To me, whomever wins that is going to win the game. And Penix is not a guy, although he scrambled and got some yards with his legs there, which he's not really known for. More so being that pocket quarterback, that presence, etc., everything I talked about. But that's going to be fascinating to see how Michigan is going to be able to handle the Husky O-line and how they're going to get pressure on Penix. And I'm sure they're going to adjust along the way with short passing game. And that's the thing about them. They're not just a team that's going to stretch the field. They can dink and dunk if they want. And then when they find their opportunity to have to go long or have to find somebody in the seam or somebody in the flat, they could do it. So I'll talk more about that on Monday, but that is going to be a great matchup between those two teams. And I'm going to say this. Thank God Saban is out. And I'm hoping the same for Harbaugh. I do not want to see him win a national championship. And I got nothing against the guy, but I've just had enough of the Harbaugh's. I've never been a fan of either Jim or John. They're both very good coaches. I think Jim is even a little bit better considering his success in college as well as the pros. And this is going back to Stanford when Harbaugh was the coach there with Andrew Luck. And now you have a scenario where he has an opportunity to finally get to the mountaintop, to finally get Michigan that first national championship since 1997, which was shared, as we all know. And the same for the Huskies. This is their first national title since 91, when they had to split that with the Miami Hurricanes. And we'll get into more of that on Monday, but it should be a great matchup. I'm sure the rating's going to be fantastic off the charts, and we'll talk more about it when we reconvene there at the beginning of next week. And one last thing, which I didn't talk about on Monday's podcast, and this is my bad hand raised high in the air, but I'll spend literally two minutes on this. For Florida State to get undressed and embarrassed the way they did at the Orange Bowl there, what was it, Sunday, is an absolute disgrace. And we could talk about how these players didn't want to play in the game. What was it, 26, 27 players did not suit up. They wanted to forego that just to go to the NFL. Well, for all the bluster from politicians, in particular Ron DeSantis, talking about wanting to sue the NCAA and all these letters and Marco Rubio, etc. Please, give me a break. These guys need to just worry about other things than football or maybe just leave altogether. But for the Seminoles and for all the talk about their perfect season, and I get it, they didn't have their starting quarterback there. But they want to talk about how they deserve to be in the Final Four. And if they want to go out and show the world that they belonged, I understand there's going to be some players that are going to forego this game to go to the NFL. But you would think that, ah, we want to play, we want to show and prove, so on and so forth. Well, I got news for you. And I said this on my podcast, or excuse me, I said this on my YouTube channel, one of my shorts. Those starters could have played in the game. They wouldn't have lost 63-3. to They probably would have lost... 42 to 10, or maybe 42 to 17. How about that? Which still would have been embarrassing. But because they didn't play, and Georgia had their players play, and talk about a team that could have just mailed it in after winning back to back national championships, they could have been like, you know what? I didn't want to play in this game. Thanks, coach. 
we'll see either next year or off to the NFL, etc. They had a reason and an excuse to say, you know what, I don't want to play in this game. And what happened? They showed up and they annihilated them. So shame on you, Florida State, for just being a complete no-show. That's all I'll say about that because obviously I should have talked about that on Monday, but I got just wrapped up with the NFL and talking about the national semifinals to talk about those two games. I even forgot about Florida State and how they just completely collapsed and just embarrassed themselves in front of not only just the college football fan, but even the sports fan who follow to just, ugh, just a terrible performance on their way out of what was a perfect season up to that point. All right, now let me put on my high tops as we go through the association here. And there are a couple of themes that I want to discuss about two teams in the West that are going in different directions. The first team are the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I get it that they lost last night to the Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta after beating the Celtics the night before, which they had won five in a row. And during that winning streak, they had beaten the T-Wolves, the best team in the West, as well as the Denver Nuggets in Denver, I might add, the defending NBA champs. And then beating the Celtics the way they did there in a close game where the Celtics were down, they came back, but they hung on the win there at the end. And then for the... Thunder to lose there last night could happen. It's a back-to-back on the road in the ATL. But now it makes you think, and maybe the same can be said for Minnesota, but more so for the Thunder because when we look at Oklahoma City, this is a team that has been gutted out from the days of the Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, even Paul George, you want to throw in Carmelo Anthony for a hot minute. Those teams of the mid to late and even early 2020s. Now, we understand Kevin Durant long left almost a decade when you think about it. That's unbelievable. He's been gone from the team for about, what, eight years? And Russell Westbrook's been off the team for at least, what, three or four? But the OKC team that we've come to know and love and how they've just bottomed out, made the trade, the Paul George trade, which got them a slew of picks and, of course, one Huge key component in a one Shea Gilgis Alexander, otherwise known as SGA. So they had to bottom out under GM Sam Presti and rebuild to the point where the team is now 23-10. and 10. They've come off that five-game winning streak and have a coach that you couldn't even pick out of a lineup by the name of Mark Daniel. And we all know that with SGA at the top and could be in the running for All-NBA, That's right, as one of the top two guards in the sport. You have another very good player who is unsung and unheralded by the name of Jalen Williams. We know about Chet Holmgren, although he's raw, but we would think as the season goes on, who knows if that's going to wear him down or because he did not play in his rookie year with the broken foot, as we know going back to last year. Will that also be a boon for him, knowing that he's in his first year, But being young and getting acclimated to the game but a long season, is that going to bode well for him? Or will that be a thing where he may hit that wall? Who knows? But they also have some very good role players on the team, whether your name is Lou Dort. Also, Josh Giddies, we know. We understand the -the off-the-court issues, which have not been resolved as of at least this point. But they have a very good young nucleus, good young core, and a team that, dare I say... 
Could they be a year early or even a year or two early to be a threat in the West to go to a conference final or dare I say NBA final? Now I know it's premature and I know that that's a bit early to even discuss that considering we're not even at the halfway point of the year. But is this a team, can they make a run at it when we get into the postseason, which is still another three and a half months away? Now, this team to me is almost reminiscent of the recent Memphis Grizzly teams where they've had the one bonafide superstar, and even though SGA is a cup below, despite the fact that he's going to be in the running for minimum second-team All-NBA, but could be first team when it's all said and done. But a guy that has been put on notice as a top player with good support and a very good team around him where he could take this team to the next level. And as we saw in the last couple of years with Memphis, they did win around two years ago, but with John Morant and the knee issues that he had, they couldn't get past Golden State in the second round. And last year, we understand, was a complete disaster where they couldn't even get out of the first round, albeit against the Laker team that went to a conference final. But to me, this team has the makeup and the makings of that recent Memphis Grizzly team. Being a top two seed, being a team that could be a threat, being a team that, who knows, could be, when it's all said and done, one of the top teams that maybe even get out of the West. And that's what Memphis was these last two years. Obviously, they didn't show that on the court. But can this team be that type of team to be a surprise NBA final participant? I understand it's way too early to tell. I think they're going to be good. I think that they could maybe win a round, maybe even get to a conference final. I think it's too much to ask, even on January the 4th, 33 games into this season, that they're going to be a threat in the West. But, stranger things have happened. And with the way the season is going, you would think that it's not going to be status quo where it's going to be Minnesota, Oklahoma City, and Denver as your top three seeds in the conference because a lot could change. I know that the Suns have actually played a little bit better here of late. And Phoenix, as we all know, is a team that we thought going into the season could be a threat to win the whole thing and not only just come out of the West. And mind you, they just came off of a four-game winning streak to Suns before losing last night to the Clippers. But they're trying to turn their season around. But when we look at the standings out West, can you expect it to be the same from here on out? I know the Clippers have played well here and have turned their fortunes around after a very slow start. So you think the Clippers will be heard from. But it's so weird when you look at the West, especially in the top six, you have teams that have been there in the running over the last few years, but it's almost as if it's been flipped because you have Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Denver, your top three seeds, and then your next three seeds are the Clippers, Sacramento, who were three seed last year, and then New Orleans, who's played pretty well here of late. And then to round it out, 7 through 10, you have Dallas, Houston, Phoenix, and then the Lakers. And then outside is Golden State, Memphis, who won four in a row when Jock came back, and now they've hit the skids. And you can forget about Portland and San Antonio, but it's flip-flopped. And they're at 10, let's get to them right now, are the Lakers. 
I could see them being a game under 500 if you've had guys in and out of the lineup. Whether LeBron nagging injuries, not playing tonight, not here, not there. Or AD with the nagging foot, ankle, knees, legs, where he's had missed extended time. And AD's played well this year. Even in the game last night that they lost to the Heat, he put up, what, 29-17, had five blocks. I understand he had a bunch of turnovers. But this Laker team, at 17-18 and and relatively healthy, they've been a disappointment. And I'm not trying to sit here to say that they should be somewhere in the top two or three seeds in a conference. But should their record be better than a game under 500? Absolutely. And I understand, 35 games in, you're not at the halfway point. You still have a long way to go. This team was 2-10 and 10 last year before they made it into the playing tournament. And again, they made it to the Western Conference Finals before they got swept by Denver. But you have to be a little bit concerned about this Laker team. I get it, the flick-the-switch mentality. Once they get to the middle of April, as long as they're in the dance, anything could happen. Understood. But this team, without any injuries, have played like this. Mediocre. Below average. What's going to happen when the stakes are higher? And again, LeBron's already 39 years old. He just turned 39 on Saturday. And AD, I understand he's been healthy, but you still have to hold your breath on whether or not he falls to the floor and he's going to be writhing in pain due to another lower leg injury. And I'm not trying to wish that on him by any stretch, but still, you understand my point. So the Lakers... Again, I know there's plenty of season to go, but man, what's the excuse? Besides that, the rest of the NBA has been what it is. I know the Pacers have played well here. They've won five in a row, and Tyrese Halliburton is putting up double-doubles. And I'm not talking just 20 and 10s. I'm talking 20 and 20. He's put up a few of those here as of late. As the Pacers look to Make some noise there in the East. That's what I got. The Western Conference is what it is. The Mavericks have slipped big time. I know Kyrie's been out with that injury. I don't know if he's been back playing consistently. That's something I got to look into. But Kyrie being hurt, I know that that doesn't help the Mavericks as far as their case goes when it comes to having their full team, especially when you want to have that backcourt of those two guys with he and Luka. But... And Luka can't do it all, although he has shown moments to where he could put the team on his back and carry them. But Kyrie, who has been back in the lineup, and yesterday, even in a win against Portland, did put up 29-9-5. So let's see if he could get back in the swing of things and get the Mavericks up the standings there out west. But other than that, that is the latest and greatest with the association. Now as I lace up my skates and see what's happening on the ice, there's a scenario where I get it midseason, you're not going to really care about who the MVP is, but you got to take a look at what Austin Matthews is doing north of the border for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Last night in a 2-1 win against the Ducks, he gets the overtime winner to where he scored his 30th goal of the game, or excuse me, his 30th goal of the season. Imagine 30 goals in a game, jeez. 30 goals in 35 games this year, so he's on a pace for another 60-plus goal season, which I believe he did last year, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he scored over 60. And 
right now you would think he's the front runner for the MVP. Now the Maple Leafs in the Atlanta division, they're currently in third place. So although they have not been the type of team that has been playing from in front or at least have been near the top of the division with the Bruins, who are currently at 23-7-6, and 52 points. And Toronto have played well this year. They're in third place, 45 points. They're three behind the streaking Florida Panthers, who have won five in a row. But Matthews, we all know that he's a big-time goal scorer. There's no surprise there, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But we know with Matthews, it's all about the postseason. And we know they have a lot of big threats there with John Tavares, Mitch Marner. We get it. And Matthews is having a killer season. And who knows, with Connor McDavid being a tick below the what we normally expect from him, and with Edmonton still trying to navigate their way there in the Pacific, and especially out west, as they now moved up to fourth place, and currently are on a six-game winning streak. And remember, they started their year 2-10 and ten before they fired their coach, and now, or since then, let's do the math, they are 17-5. Since that time. So who knows. McDavid. We all know. Year in and year out. He's going to be in the running for the MVP. But for Matthews. Considering that he has put up 30 goals here. Throughout the first 35 games of the season. That's a guy you have to take notice. As a. Not only he's a big time player. But a guy who could be an MVP. When this year is all said and done. But throughout the sport overall. Everything is pretty much where. It has been. I know Vancouver's played well, as we talked about the other day. We could also look at that race in the Central with Colorado, Winnipeg, and the Dallas Stars. They've been flip-flopping back and forth as to who's in first place. We could also look at what's happening in the East as the Hurricanes have played well. And they have stumbled, fumbled, and bumbled through the first, I'd say, 20-plus games. But now they've turned it on to the point where they've overtaken the Islanders for second place in the Metropolitan. But other than that, Vegas, two points behind Vancouver for the top spot. Edmonton's played well, as we talked about. Seattle, give it up, as they've also are in a winning streak, winning five in a row, and they also won the Winter Classic. I don't know how many people had seen that. I know Joey Decord had the shutout there. I believe it was the first shutout in Winter Classic history for just the Winter Classic. I know you've had outdoor games, whether it's in the regular season or the Heritage Classic in Canada, where you've had shutouts in the past, but I believe for January 1, Winter Classic, for the whole country and world to see, first ever shutout, and the Winter Classic's gone on since 2009. So that does tell you something there. But for the rest of the NHL, that's pretty much what we have. I don't know if there have been any key injuries that I'll have to take a look at. Any other news and notes that we have to worry about? Kirill Kaprizov of the Wild, he's going to be out for some time. And we all know that he is the engine that goes on that team. As well as their goaltender, Philippe Gustafsson. So the Wild, who have gone through a coaching change in their own right with Dean Everson. And they've certainly underachieved and have not played well this year. And now they're going to have their two big guns out. That may not look good for the Wild as we move deeper into the season. As they are next to last in the Central. So... My guy, Headstyle, out in Minneapolis, I'm sure he's uh, going through it there a little bit and hoping for his Vikings to get into the postseason by hook or by crook. But that's what you have with the NHL, and Major League Baseball has been another major disappointment. I'm not going to get into Lucas Giolito, who signed with the Red Sox 
there a few days ago, two years at what, $38 million? That isn't a big time signing, at least for me. But when we look at Blake Snell, Matt Chapman, guys like that, who we're waiting to see where they're going to sign on the dotted line, Cody Bellinger, another one. These guys are nowhere to be found. And here we are now into January and about five, a little less than six weeks away from pitches and catches reporting. This is going to be Manny Machado, Bryce Harper all, all over again in 2019 when they sign on the dotted line right before spring training. And those guys are of bigger ilk than the Cody Bellinger. I understand he's a former MVP and even Blake Snell coming off of Cy Young. But still, are these guys going to Get a sniff. Is there any rumor out there for these guys to sign on with another team? I haven't heard anything. But you know I'll be on top of that as we move it along here to start off 2024 and deep into this month because you know yours truly is going to have it covered here day in, day out, week in, wake out with the podcast. So you definitely want to stay tuned. Maybe not to that dial, but to your podcast platform, wherever it is that you sign up to to get the latest and greatest on everything that's happening in the world of sports. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books, as always. Thank you so much for stopping by, for carving out precious time out of your day to one more time hear me babble about the toy department of life that we know called sports. Like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, and review. Tell me a few stars, write a review. That'll go a long way to increase the visibility, as we all know. If you have a question, comment, suggestion, do so with the following on my YouTube channel at J Reels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, X, J Reels One, just a number, the old fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say. I have big things, as I've talked about here over the last couple of podcasts. You definitely want to stay in touch for the visually inclined to. Check out my YouTube channel as I post my daily shorts. I'm going to have a vlog posted this Sunday. That's right. So when you wake up, especially if you're in the East, and before you pour that cup of coffee or hot chocolate or juice, whatever it may be, yes, you're going to get a taste of a behind the scenes of what J Reels does when it comes to the production of this podcast. So you definitely want to peep that. And I am also going to bring the pain into this microphone through your earbud speakers or headphones with nothing but fire, passion, energy, fury with my thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise, analysis, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.